This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state is getting an assist from the First Lady. Jill Biden is holding two events in Florida today to encourage people to get vaccinated. College kids can say adios to Zoom. The head of the Florida Board of Governors says the state university system is ready to return to full-time, face-to-face instruction. Each of our universities will be back to normal for the 2021 academic year. And there's a lot to be proud of. Uh, Throughout the pandemic, the university campuses had significantly lower infection rates than its surrounding community. And unlike many universities around the country, our enrollment was up and graduation rates increased. Board of Governors has also approved the appointment of two new university presidents, including the first full-time female president at New College of Florida. Do not let her looks deceive you. Dr. Patricia Oker can probably kick your butt and outrun it, too. I believe Dr. Oker is a seven-time Boston marathoner and also has um, national, if not world titles, for powerlifting in her class. So even though she's shorter than you, sir, she can... She can get it done. (laughs) Powerlifting? Yep, powerlifting. The board also approved a new president for Florida State and the reappointment of presidents at Florida Poly and Florida International. House Speaker Chris Sprouls is asking the people who run the universities to come up with new ideas to make sure conservative students and faculty members are not silenced on campus. We are not preparing our students to be adults. We are not preparing them the way that we could to be successful in the workforce because we are too concerned about the woke mob or what's happening on Twitter. And it's a mistake. North Florida Congressman Matt Gates claims the military standout to address white supremacy and extremist behavior is hurting the service. But the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff says they need to know. It is important that we train and we understand. And I, I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. What caused that? I want to find that out. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida woman accused of battering her boyfriend with a plateful of chicken. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, June 24th. This is National Praline Day and National Work From Home Day. On this date in 1853, U.S. President Franklin Pierce signed the Gadsden Purchase, buying 30,000 square miles from Mexico for $10 million. The area is now southern Arizona and New Mexico. In 1902, George Dayton founded Goodfellow Dry Goods in Minneapolis. It is still in business, but the name has changed. Today, it's called Target. In 1982, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the president cannot be sued for actions while in office. On this date in 1992, LSU Senator Shaquille O'Neal was the first pick in the NBA draft by the Orlando Magic. And two years ago today, Donald Trump imposed sanctions on Iran for shooting down a U.S. drone. The First Lady is in Florida today to talk about COVID vaccinations. The White House says Jill Biden will start off in Kissimmee at a vaccination site administered by the Osceola Community Health Services. Then she heads for the Amelie Arena in downtown Tampa, where the Tampa Bay Lightning are hosting a vaccination event called Shots on Ice. Advent Health will provide free Pfizer or J&J. The Biden administration has a goal of delivering at least one shot to 70% of adults by the 4th of July. They have, however, admitted that is not likely to happen. Nationwide, word about 54%. In Florida, numbers about 53%. 
The COVID crisis is not over yet, but the people who run Florida's universities say they'll all be back in business with face-to-face instruction when the new school year begins. Sid Kitson chairs the Board of Governors of the State University System, and he says Florida colleges never lost a step during the pandemic. On behalf of the board, I, I want to express my appreciation uh, to our university leaders, our faculty, and, and particularly our, our students for meeting the, the many challenges uh, of this past academic year. You know, what, what I found is, is that, that rather than just trying to get, get through the year or, or survive the year, our universities excelled in educating our students while thoughtfully uh, dealing with the pandemic. You know, as more of our students, faculty, staff, and community community members receive vaccinations, which we strongly uh, encourage, the challenges caused by the pandemic become easier to manage. And this is especially important for our students who are looking forward to this upcoming fall term and really want a vibrant uh, campus experience. And to be clear, to be clear, each of our universities will be back to normal for the 2021 academic year. And there's a lot to be proud of. Uh, Throughout the pandemic, the university campuses had significantly lower infection rates than its surrounding community. And unlike many universities around the country, our enrollment was up and graduation rates increased. This was the result of great communication from our universities and tremendous student accountability. Our presidents came together with great leadership and a common cause and led the nation as the number one university system in the country. Everyone I know in the state university uh, system is approaching the new ac- academic year with energy and enthusiasm. And I can, I can feel it on every campus and in the people I talk to, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, as uh, the fall semester approaches, all university administrations and faculty are working to provide students with a broad array of academic offerings, student support services, extracurricular and social activities, and athletic participation. As the universities welcome students and faculty and staff to their campuses, they will continue to monitor and respond to health and safety guidelines provided by the Florida Department of Health. But make no mistake, we are fully open for business. The Board of Governors has just signed off on the hiring of two new university presidents. Dr. Richard McCullough is taking over at Florida State University in Tallahassee. I can't imagine that I would uh, end up here I grew up with very modest means. I had no car. I had to get a ride from a friend and take all the same classes with him so I could get a degree. And that was once I went to junior, uh, in my junior and senior year and my freshman year, freshman, sophomore, well, freshman, sophomore, and uh, my first junior year, um, I went to community college. uh, and that was uh, a, an amazing experience. My family, you know, uh, I, my father was a, uh, uh, sort of lived death of a salesman, and my mother was a secretary, and you know we struggled mightily, and I helped out. You know, I had to work since I was 10 years old, and so I saw education as a pathway, um, you know, forward and uh, to gain social mobility. What's so interesting about the Florida State opportunity is that I, you know, I get opportunities like this, you know, fairly often, and I don't really usually follow up on them. And and I checked into Florida State, and and the more I more I learned about all the amazing things that, you know, President Thrasher Board and the, the staff and students and faculty had done uh, to make it such an amazing place on a, on a, on a fast rise. I became very interested uh, in the possibility and felt, you know, that affordable public education is really what led me to 
live, you know, the American dream, you know, it really transformed my life. And when you look at the amazing things that have been happening at Florida State University, the, the rise in reputation and the academic, you know, reputation, the student success, the, lead, the leadership and diversity, it looks like just a, a fantastic place uh, to, to be attracted to. I have to say the open process, is, it was intimidating to be, uh, you know, on, uh, up, up on YouTube uh, uh, for everyone to see my, my interviews, but uh, I, I, in the end, I, I thought it was, a, it was a wonderful process and I was so happy to be a part of it. One of the things I learned about Florida State is the tremendous pride that the university has and how the people, you know, have this family culture. It's a welcoming culture. And boy, the more I went there, the more I was like, boy, I, I want this job. I really, you know, want to be a part of this. So, you know, I, I was uh, very, very attracted uh, to the position and, and really happy to be here today. I've heard a couple of times I have big shoes to fill. Uh, as the head of research at Harvard University, I've done my research and I can tell you I have very big shoes to fill. And so it's very intimidating. But but I'm up for the job and I'm ready to go to work. McCullough replaces John Thrasher, who's retiring after seven years at FSU. The Board of Governors also approved the selection of Dr. Patricia Oker as president of New College of Florida in Sarasota. Much of my passion for public higher education comes from my own personal story and that of my family. I was born and raised in New Jersey, one of five children, so I'm one of those, uh, I was one of those future Floridians. <coughs> Uh, neither of my parents earned bachelor's degrees, but they both instilled in me and my siblings the value and pleasures of education and hard work. I went to a small liberal arts college as an undergraduate, never imagining that I would become a professor of English. I'm not even sure I knew such a thing existed. My point here is that college was a time of discovery, and that's something that I, in all of my years in higher ed, I keep that emphasis on discovery. I am also acutely aware that my education has afforded me opportunities that my parents and grandparents never even imagined. This background has instilled within me a keen sense of the transformative power of a college education. And I know that the faculty, staff, and students at New College share this commitment to nurturing students as individuals and preparing them for the future. As Chair Ruiz mentioned, I've been at the University of Missouri as a faculty member for 31 years, having served in a variety of roles there, including Dean of the College of Arts and Science. I'll just mention three key, uh, key accomplishments during my time there was implementation of a campus-wide data-driven approach to program review. That's when I was serving in the provost's office development of a college-wide career readiness program and an increase in first-year retention. All of these initiatives have focused on student success. I am truly excited about the future of New College, and I am even more excited, I didn't know that would be possible, after listening to the discussions in this meeting yesterday and today about the, the uh, state university system's commitment to integrating academic and workforce development. It truly is exciting and work that I have been doing for many years. And so I look forward to working collaboratively with employers and education leaders around the state to ensure that New College continues to provide a personalized, rigorous education that prepares students, as New College says, to lead lives of great achievement. In thinking about the future of New College, I just want to mention briefly three key points. 
I want to affirm my commitment to ensuring that New College continues to provide a high-quality honors education that serves students from Florida and beyond. This is a broad mandate that requires commitment to academic excellence, student well-being, and accountability on student success. Much of this work is already embedded in the state performance metrics. I recognize the challenges ahead, but remain confident that New College can be successful in fulfilling its goals of recruiting, graduating students, and improving the value, increasing the value of their degrees. A second priority is strengthening existing and developing new partnerships throughout the community and state. These ties are always essential for public institutions. As a nationally ranked public liberal arts college, New College is well poised to be a leader in demonstrating the power of a liberal arts education that is fully engaged with the communities it serves. And finally, I'm committed to establishing New College as a national leader that integrates a rigorous liberal arts education with a robust career readiness program. This work has already begun at New College and is clearly an established priority of SUS. Turns out President Oker is also a bit of a badass, a marathon runner and a weightlifter, which came as somewhat of a surprise to Chairman Kitson. I just want you to know, you also have to have a thick skin amongst this group, no, just okay. so you know. <laughs> I've kind of figured that out already. <laughs> okay, uh, Mr. Ed uh, Burr. Chair Kitson, yeah. I, I just want to alert yeah. you that um, I believe Dr. Oker is a seven-time Boston marathoner yeah. and also has... Um, national if not world titles for powerlifting in her class. So even though she's shorter than you, sir, she can, she can get it done. <laughs> powerlifting? I do currently hold a few world records in the World Drug-Free Powerlifting Federation in my age and weight class. Wow. Wow. Well, we're not gonna arm wrestle. The Board of Governors also agreed to the reappointment of two presidents, Randy Avent at Florida Polytechnic University and Mark Rosenberg at Florida International University. Two days ago, the governor signed a new law that requires state colleges and universities to do a better job improving viewpoint diversity, which is code for giving conservatives the chance to speak out on campus without being constrained by liberal students or faculty members. House Speaker Chris Sprouls told the Board of Governors this is about intellectual freedom, not politics, and he wants the people who run the higher ed system to figure out what more they can do to encourage robust debate among competing philosophies. The reality is we're very focused on diversity as a policy matter, and that's a good thing. We should have diverse places. We should have diverse universities and diverse faculty. But one of the most important things of diversity is not the diversity of how people look, but the diversity of how they think, about their experiences, about how they see the world, and to be able to have the comfort and the confidence to express in a group of people, this is what I think, and I, maybe it's not popular, or maybe you think it's silly, but this is what I believe. Can we talk about it? Because there's other smart people in the room who will who will push back and all of a sudden this like amazing conversation happens where both people get smarter. And if we're all honest, this is a problem at our university campuses across the state and across the nation. We're not alone. We're not the only ones who are going through this. But I think if you, if you think about it in a Fox News or MSNBC sort of way, it's easy to dismiss and to say, you know, there's these group of guys, you know, a group of folks and they're political and they think these things and they say these things, but it's, it's all nonsense. We're just going to keep going in the direction that we're going. And I tell you two things, it's not nonsense. It's well documented. There's great scholars in this room 
There's a great book that came out a number of years ago called The Coddling of the American Mind by a professor uh, in New York who's by no means a conservative, who really went and analyzed the data about how you saw a decrease in academic freedom or, or intellectual diversity or speakers who were controversial at our university campuses stemming from 2013 and beyond. And the reality is if you couple that scholarly work with other work that has been done, you have to acknowledge that we are not preparing our students to be adults. We are not preparing them the way that we could to be successful in the workforce because we are too concerned about the woke mob or what's happening on Twitter. And it's a mistake. It's a mistake that is gonna cost those children the development of their character and the understanding of what it means to be an engaged American, what it means to be successful. And I can tell you that we're gonna to continue to work on this issue in the legislature because it continues to be important to me, not because it's political, I don't care about that. It's important to me because I have two kids who are gonna grow up in this state, they're gonna learn in this state, they're gonna work, God willing, in this state. And I want them to be able to go to the best universities in the world, I want them to be ranked number one because rankings do matter, but other things matter too that aren't going to be quantified by US News or by anyone else, and that is how you, because you can't quantify character, you can't quantify truth and the, the amount of rigorous engagement that you allow students to do, you can't quantify how we don't kowtow to, a, to certain administrators or a faculty about controversy because it makes them uncomfortable. Because life is uncomfortable. What we do and the things we have to talk about are sometimes just uncomfortable. Um, but they're worth doing. I know every person here you know, truly believes that. So we're gonna continue that work, but my ask of all of you, because we have some of the brightest, room, brightest minds sitting in this room right now, the brightest. So my ask of you is how do we tackle this problem? We've done some things, we've done intellectual surveys, but you know the inner workings of the university more than we ever could. What are the things that we can do to make sure that five years from now and 10 years from now, our universities are a place where students are able to engage in a free exchange of ideas. And that words aren't an assault on their person, but they're enlightening even if you don't agree. Even if you don't agree. Speaker Sprouls made those remarks one day after the Senate president described state universities as socialism factories. Florida man Matt Gates is going viral again. The North Florida congressman was questioning Defense Secretary and retired four-star General Lloyd Austin during a committee hearing in D.C. when he said servicemen had been complaining to him about the Pentagon's stand-down to address the problem of white supremacy and extremism in the military. The number one issue that they raised to me, they say that your stand-down regarding extremism did not help our military it hurt the military. And I, I want to share with you that perspective, that it caused service members to otherize one another. It impaired group cohesion. And interesting to me is that I've heard those sentiments most frequently from units that are majority minority, uh, that, that this was not particularly helpful. So I'm, I wanted to give you the opportunity to maybe share with us more specificity regarding how should the Department of Defense think about critical race theory? Secretary Austin told Gates the issue is white supremacy and extremist behavior, not critical race theory. I don't know what the, what the issue of critical race theory is and what the relevance here uh, in, with the department. We do not teach critical race theory. We don't, we don't embrace uh, critical race theory. And I think, I think that's a spurious uh, uh, conversation. And so we are focused on extremist behaviors and, and not, uh, not ideology, not, not, uh, not people's thoughts, not people's uh, uh, political orientation. Behaviors is what we're focused on. 
But and one final point, and thanks for your anecdotal uh, input, but I would say that I have gotten 10 times that amount of input, 50 times that amount of input uh, on the other side that have said, hey, we're, we're, we're glad to have had the ability to have a conversation with ourselves and with our leadership. And that's what we need to and, make and sure again, that we remain my a time, Mr. Secretary. It, it may be that you're receiving that input in the ratios you describe because it was your directive. It may be that people are concerned about criticizing your decision. You know, I trust my leadership from top to bottom that they will give me fair uh, and, and balanced and unvarnished input. And for you to say that uh, people are telling me uh, what they want to hear, what I want to hear, I get it, but I'm smart enough to that know does that does happen. I, yeah. You know, maybe they're telling you what you want to hear. But the strongest rebuke came from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. General Mark Milley says there's nothing wrong with trying to understand critical race theory. On the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, but I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders now and in the future do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. And it matters to our military and the discipline and cohesion of this military. Just a suggestion here, but maybe Matt Gates should stick to Twitter and not mess with the brass. You don't get to be a four-star general without knowing how to shut down a troll. Your calendar of events today, the Florida Transportation Commission meets at 10, trustees of Gulf Coast State College meet at 10 in Panama City. The Florida Supreme Court releases opinions at 11. The State Public Service Commission will continue a series of online customer hearings about a rate increase for FP&L. That's at 2 and again at 6. The North Central Florida Regional Planning Council meets at 7, and Senator Rick Scott speaks at the Brevard County Republican Executive Committee's Lincoln-slash-Reagan dinner. That's at 7.30 in Cocoa. Finally today, a Florida woman is busted for battery after officers say she attacked her boyfriend with a paper plate full of chicken. 43-year-old Jennifer Booth got into an argument with 59-year-old William Booth over a gym membership and became so angry that she picked up the plate and hit him in the face and chest. William told Manatee County deputies his girlfriend was upset because she didn't like the idea of him being around other women at the gym. Jennifer is charged with domestic battery. 
That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Thank you.